Jesus' most personal and powerful teachings are conversations with his disciples in the book of John. Nowhere else is his instruction both so simple and so deep. Take your place in the upper room to hear the heart of God that still speaks today. This world any length of time and you experience some kind of rejection in your life, maybe even some kind of betrayal. And what happens is the more difficult that betrayal, the more difficult that rejection, because of the nature of the relationship you have with that person. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's, it's a friend that you've had for many years, and you experience that rejection, you re experience that denial, you, re you experience that betrayal. And what it does is it can get to be a part of your heart that you can't let go. And the tragedy is, is that you continue to be a victim because it causes you to build walls around your heart and around your life because you're never going to let anybody that close again. You're never going to let anybody hurt you like that again. If it goes unchecked, you could even become physically and emotionally sick as a result of that betrayal, as a re result of that rejection. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see that Jesus was no stranger to rejection. Jesus was no stranger to betrayal. Betrayal at the hands of those that we would think that he trusted most. And we're going to see the pain of that betrayal in his own life. This morning, we're continuing our series called The Upper Room. And if you haven't been with us, we began just last week. And this is going to be our series through Easter Sunday morning. And we're going to journey with Jesus in the upper room and then to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then to the cross and then to the tomb. And what we're going to see in this process are some of the most important teachings of Jesus. This, these teachings that Jesus uses to prepare his disciples for what is coming. He knows that they're going to be experiencing fear, a sense of being lost, confusion. And Jesus wants them to be able to stand strong in the midst of it. But he also wants them to be prepared to carry on the ministry that he has begun as his spirit works in them and through them. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. We're going to see the betrayal of Judas. We're going to see the denial and rejection of Peter. And we're going to see the grace of Jesus throughout. Then we're going to see Jesus gives us what he calls a new command, and yet it's a command in some respects that we read about in the Old Testament. One that Jesus himself had mentioned when he was asked to respond to this question, which is the greatest of all the commands. But we're going to see what makes this a new command. So beginning in verse 18, 
Jesus is speaking. He says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those of you I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. Quote, he who shared my bread is turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them that he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Staggering, isn't it? This rejection, so much rejection, denial, betrayal from the 12 that he had built into over three years. Those who had walked with him in life and in ministry those that he was closest to, arguably. And these very, two of these very disciples, one would betray him, the other deny him. Friends, if you have gone through rejection and betrayal in your life, the good news is Jesus understands. He gets it. He knows what you have gone through, for he has gone through it himself. He understands it. Well, there's... Four things that I want you to see in this passage this morning. Two main, two main themes. The first one is this. Okay. No, I actually have it on this morning, so you're going to have to help me, Kelly. I'm, okay. 
The first is rejection. We see the rejection in Judas. Judas is going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He is going to tell the authorities where they can arrest him safely without the crowds rising up against them. Jesus knows what Judas is going to do. Jesus, all he has to do is flee. All he has to do is leave, but he doesn't. He stays because he knows that it's the plan of God that he is to suffer and to die on the cross. Jesus was not a victim of the cross in that way. Jesus chose the cross out of love for his father and out of love for you and for me. And I want you to see here, Judas, Jesus answered, speaking, answering the question, who is it that's going to betray you? And what does he say? He says, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And as that happens, he eventually leaves the other 11 and Jesus. And he goes out to sell and betray Jesus. But Judas wasn't the only one who rejects Jesus that night. We see Peter. Peter impetuously says, Jesus, I will die for you. I will suffer for you. There's no way I will not stand with you. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, I tell you that before the night is up, before the rooster has crowed three times, you will have betrayed me three times. Friends, this is, this is a deep, profound pain as we're going to see in the life of Jesus. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, the rejection of Jesus is in fulfillment of the word of God. And the purpose of this, the purpose of this fulfillment is that we would know Jesus, that we would see Jesus. Friends, we, see, we live in a day when many people are enamored with the idea of prophecy, and we should be. There's prophetic teaching about the first coming of Jesus. There's prophetic teaching about the second coming of Jesus. And it's, these are things that we should pay attention to. But the purpose of it is not that we would have the secret knowledge, the secret information. The purpose isn't that we would be enamored or have this knowledge. The purpose is that when we see the fulfillment of Scripture, it causes us to love Jesus even more. It draws our hearts to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. He's talking about the betrayal of Judas. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. And here it is. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, hear this, and underline it in your Bibles. So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to us in this passage that the purpose of prophecy is not to tickle our ears. It's not to help us to experience this, this deep understanding of this deep prophetic understanding. The purpose of this 
is that we would know Jesus and we would know who he is, that he has come from God the Father and that he has lived out as the scriptures have taught. He has fulfilled the scriptures, that the scriptures have pointed to him as the Messiah. It's that we would know who he is. What I have found when it comes to prophecy is that some people are so enamored with it that all they care about is the prophetic word. And we should care about it, but only to the extent that it points to Jesus. Only to the extent that it helps us to understand who Jesus is and why he came. Only to the extent that we would deepen in our understanding and relationship with him. I had a person come up to me after a service some time ago, and she said that she has the gift of prophecy. And we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit as a church. We believe that the gifts are still valid today. But I could tell what she wanted to do. She said, I need your authority to go and to give prophecy to the different people in your congregation. And I said, no. I said, I don't even know who you are. You would have to earn the right to, to have that authority in this church. Because so many people who want the gift of prophecy, it's for their own benefit. It's not to help people to know who Jesus is. And we need to be very careful when we talk about this area of ministry. Now, what is Jesus referring to? What he's referring to here is a quote that comes from Psalm 41, verse 9. And in the questions that you have for this week to wrestle with coming out of the sermon, you'll see that there are two Psalms in which David, King David, is talking about this pain of betrayal that he experiences that come from 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 17. That's the context for what David writes in Psalm 41. Listen to what we read in Psalm 41.9. David says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Do you hear the pain in that? Do you hear the pain in what David is saying? And what he's talking about here, it's, he's talking about his trusted confidant, a man that, that he trusted to give him good counsel. He was David's number one counselor. And this counselor turned against him and sided with Absalom and Absalom's rebellion. This man that David trusted, this man that he, that he looked to for trusted counsel, this very man turned his back and betrayed David. Listen to what he said again. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. In that Eastern culture, if you shared bread with someone, it was a sign of deep, loyal friendship. It was a sign that we are standing together. And what David has said, this man who ate at my table, this man who shared my bread, has betrayed me. David did not expect it so that he and his men 
had to flee Jerusalem, largely because of this one man that he trusted. Have you ever trusted somebody in your life and they betrayed you? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a, a child. Maybe it was somebody that you considered to be a deep, profound friend. And they rejected you. They, they betrayed you. You see that in the Bible, and we see that David understands. Now, Jesus quotes that very verse in this passage in John 13. The man who's going to betray me is the one who will take the bread that I am giving him. Jesus dipped the bread and he gave it to Judas. Friends, betrayal is very hard. Betrayal and rejection is very painful. But Jesus has already lived that. Jesus has already experienced that. And Jesus can speak to us through his word in the midst of that. We read on and we see the pain of rejection as Jesus shares it. Listen to what we read in verse 21. After Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now why is it that Jesus was troubled? That word in the Greek language, when it says troubled in spirit, means a deep sense of being emotionally distressed. That's how the word is used in the Greek language. Jesus wasn't just troubled, as we might use that word today. He was experiencing an intense level of emotional struggle as a result of what was going on. Now, why is that? We don't really know. It could be, my guess is it's two things that are going on here. One is the, the betrayal of Judas, but he already knew that Judas was going to betray him. But when the moment came, certainly there would be pain. But I think it goes beyond that, friends. I think what Jesus is experiencing here is the pain of knowing the price that Judas is going to pay for his betrayal. I think what Jesus is experiencing here is the pain of knowing that this man that I have poured into for three years, that has walked with me for three years, that has seen the miracles that I have performed, that has heard the teaching that I have provided, that has lived with me for three years, I know his eternal destination as Satan enters him. And he betrays Jesus. I wonder if it's not a combination of the two. The betrayal, yes, but Jesus knew from the beginning of time that Judas, as we saw last week, was going to betray him. He already knew that. But he still, as we're going to see in a moment, he still loves Judas. And he still reaches out to Judas with grace. Listen to what happens next. Being in the company of believers doesn't make me a believer. We read in verse, uh, uh, verses 22 to 24, his disciples, Jesus has now told them that one of the 12 
is going to betray him. Now think about this. They've lived together for three years. One of the 12 is going to betray you. One of the 12 is going to betray me, Jesus says to the disciples. Now I think sometimes when we think about Judas, we think he had horns growing out of his head. He had uh, teeth, these eye teeth that he could shred everything. That there was, it was obvious that had to be, he had to be talking about Judas, right? Because we think of Judas as this terrible human being. But listen to what we read. His disciples stared at one another at a loss as to which of them Jesus was speaking about. Which one of them is he talking about? He says, and then he says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, who wrote the gospel, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and, and, and said, ask him which one he means. The disciples didn't know it was Judas. Here, here we, we just assume that it was obvious it would be Judas, but it wasn't. You see, Judas lived as one of them. Je Judas walked with Jesus. Judas learned from Jesus. Judas was part of the ministry that Jesus was performing, was doing, was living out. And yet they could not distinguish that Judas was the one who would betray Jesus. It was unfathomable. Friends, when I look at this, here's something that I think about, and that is being in the company of believers does not make me a believer. Now, being in church is critically important. Having relationships with other believers is critically important. We are called in the scriptures to gather together as God's people. We are called in the scriptures to build intimate relationships with one another. We are called in the scriptures to live out ministry side by side, hand in hand, together. But doing all of that together doesn't make somebody a believer. They have to choose to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know exactly why Judas sold out Jesus. It talks about the, the 30 pieces of silver that may have been just the money that enticed him. But there could have been other reasons as well. We really don't know. The scriptures don't teach, it, teach that. But this is what we do know. Judas, there was nothing in Judas that would make us think that Judas was the one that Jesus was talking about when he said, one of you is going to betray me. We cannot see the hearts of people, but God can. And we read this. Jesus says this very truly, right after this. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Who's the one who sent him? God the Father. When we accept Jesus, God the Father accepts us. You see, friends, we don't go through the motions of faith. We don't go through the motions of church. We come here to meet Jesus. We come here to be in relationship together, to serve side by side, to be inspired and encouraged by the truth of God's word, to be challenged by the truth of God's word, to be conformed to the image of Jesus by the truth of God's word. We come here because we believe in Jesus. 
It's not about going to church. It's not about growing up in a Christian home. All of that is great, and all of that is our wonderful gifts. It's about Jesus, and it's about believing in the name of Jesus. But we read on, and we see that Jesus continues to extend grace to Judas and Peter. Friends, I think this is extraordinary. I want you to think for a moment of that person that you're thinking about when I say the word rejection or betrayal. Most of us can think of somebody and picture somebody in our mind's eye. We can see them right now. But what we see is that Jesus continued to extend grace to both Judas and Peter. To Judas. Scholars have tried to, by reading the Gospels, have tried to put together the seating arrangement around that table that day or that evening. And we're fairly confident that to the right of Jesus was the, the disciple John. But to the left of Jesus was the disciple Judas. Now to sit next to the left of Jesus, where Jesus was at his right, was the seat of honor in that gathering that night. Think about that. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, and yet Judas is given the seat of honor to the left of, of Jesus so that he would re be reclining. He would be reclining into Jesus and Jesus into him. I am amazed that Jesus, knowing that Judas would betray him, would allow him to have that seat on that night. Why? The only thing I can think of is that Jesus is modeling for us how we respond to people who have rejected us, people who have betrayed us, people who have denied us. He's extending grace to Judas to the very last moment. I want you to think about how powerful that image is. And friends, I want to ask you this. What would it look like for you and for me to extend grace to those very people that have hurt us so deeply? It might simply mean praying God's blessing into their life, asking God to bless them. It may mean it may mean trying to rebuild that relationship. Not putting ourselves in a position where this person can continue to hurt us, but at the same time, extending mercy and, and grace to them so that the bitterness that resides in our hearts can slowly break away from us so that we are free. Peter, Peter, Jesus, I will die with you. I am going to stand with you, Jesus. Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you will have denied me three times. That seemed, that couldn't happen in Peter's mind. That would never happen. 
And yet, as the night went on after Jesus was arrested, when he was being tried three times, Peter was accused of being a follower of Jesus. And three times, Peter denied even knowing the man. Friends, the reason I share this is because we are like Peter. The reason I share this is because we too, we too experience moments in our lives where we could never imagine ourselves being that person. Maybe for you, it was a time when you had opportunity to stand up for Jesus and you were silent because of the price that you were afraid of paying. Or you knew you shouldn't follow the crowd and the crowd was leading everybody away from Jesus and you didn't want to experience that rejection so you just followed along. I remember our daughters, both of our daughters in high school were rejected by their friend group because when they became seniors in high school, their friend group both in both cases began to do things they knew was not what God wanted. And our daughters would not participate in that and they lost their friend groups. And it was painful and it was hard, but they would not compromise. Or maybe for you, you've, you've denied Jesus in an issue of ethics, of morality. You know I, sh I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know that I shouldn't cross this line, but I do because I think it's going to make my life easier. Or you know that you should forgive, but you don't want to because it's not, the pain that you've experienced isn't fair. But even with Peter, there's grace. And even for you and me this morning, there's grace. God reaches out to us in his mercy. You see, anytime we sin, we are saying to Jesus, I don't want to follow you. I want to follow the, what I want to do in this world. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to love you. Jesus said, as we'll see in John 14, if you love me, you obey my commands. And so when we break the commands of God, it's as if we're saying to Jesus, I don't love you. I don't want to follow you. This is true for all of us. Now fast forward to the very end of the Gospel of John, and here is Jesus with his disciples. It's the resurrected Jesus. And Peter, who denied Jesus three times, is there. And Jesus looks at Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. A second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. A third time, a third time he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. What's Jesus doing? He's forgiving Peter so that Peter can be restored. He can be renewed. Peter, I still have purpose for you. Yes, you failed. But for each failure, I forgive you. My mercy is extended to you. There are some of you here today that because of some failure in your life, you believe wrongly that God cannot use you, that Jesus cannot love you. If you come to Jesus this morning, repent of what you have done, of where you have been. 
Jesus will not only forgive you, he will restore and renew you in such a way that he will use you to change the world. This is what he does with Peter. And upon Peter, he establishes his church. That's the grace of God. And then we see a shift in the passage. Jesus gives us what he calls a new command. To love one another. Now it's strange that he calls it a new command because we read this command back in Leviticus. And we, it's repeated. And when Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, is asked to summarize the commands of God. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Listen to what he says. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How is this a new command? If we read in the Old Testament that we are to love the Lord our God and love one another. Well, here it is. It's a new object of love. Jesus provides in this new command a new object of love. You see, before, I only had to love fellow Jews. I only had to love people that were in my community. Jesus says, no, you have to love Jew and Gentile. You have to love all people, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless, regardless. You have to love one another. You have to love the believers. You see, friends, Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified. He's going to be resurrected, and then after 40 days, he's going to ascend into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, he sends us later his very Holy Spirit, his spirit, to live within us. But now, we need each other. Where they had Jesus physically with them, we need each other to be physically with us. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what race, what nationality, none of that matters. What matters is that we are brothers and sisters of Christ. And so there's a new object of love. Not just people I happen to like, not just my family, not just people who are like me, but the people, my brothers and sisters, in every corner of, the, uh, of, this, of this earth. I am to love them, and so are you. And there is a new measure of love. The old measure of love is love your neighbor as what? As yourself. What's the new standard of love? We are to love one another as Jesus loves us. That's a much different standard. I am to love you in the way that Jesus has loved me. As I go through the scriptures and I go through the Gospels, and I see Jesus loving people, I learn how I am to love people, to love you, how you are to love me and one another. 
What do we see in the Gospels? Well, we see Jesus speaking the truth in love. We see Jesus healing people, restoring people by the power of God. We see Jesus extend grace to those that, we, that the world of that day would never extend grace to. Zacchaeus, the woman caught in adultery. And here is Jesus living out that grace that we are to live out with one another. And then Jesus says, no greater love is this than that we lay down our life for another. We are to lay down our lives for each other. What does that mean? It means that we are to give up what we want for ourselves in order to give to somebody else what God wants for them. Friends, we need to be, to love one another as Christ loves us. We need to be the people that Christ is calling us to be in our relationships with one another. Fellowship is not just being in one another's presence. Fellowship is loving one another in the way that Christ loves us. It's a new power to love. God gives us his spirit. And we're going to see that in a couple of weeks as we continue in John 14. We're going to see that God through his spirit gives us a new power to love. And finally, this new command brings a new witness to the world. Listen to what he says again. Remember what he said? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How, do, how does the world know that I'm a disciple of Jesus? How does, how does the world know that we as a church are disciples of Jesus? Is it our programs? Is it our beautiful facilities? How do they know that we are disciples of Jesus? Is it because we talk about it? No, it's how we love one another. The world looks and says, you are disciples of Jesus. How do they see that? By the way that we love one another. That we extend mercy and grace to each other. That we speak the truth and love to one another. That we bear one another's burdens. That we lay our lives down for each other. Friends, this is what it means to be the people of God. So I want to close with this challenge. What would it look like for you to live out this new command? And maybe it begins in your household. What would it look like to love your spouse as Jesus loved you? What would it look like to love your parents as Jesus loves you? What would it look like to love your enemy as Jesus loves you? What would it look like to love that person that rejected you? What would it look like for you to love your brothers and sisters in this place as Jesus loves them? Can you imagine, friends, Jesus is saying that the greatest witness that we are his disciples is how we love each other. Does the world see it? Is the world drawn to him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
your grace and your mercy. Lord, we are sinners, all of us. We are people who have failed to live the life that you have called us to live. And that failure is day after day after day as we choose to live our way, as we put our needs ahead of the kingdom, as we put our desires ahead of the kingdom, as we love ourselves rather than loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray that you, by your spirit, will transform your people. And Lord, begin with me. Begin with me. Lord, I want to love as you love. And I, Lord, I want to know more of who you are and to love you more and more. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.